Loving Father in heaven, what a privilege it is to be able to come before you this morning to be able to study your word. Father, we thank, we're thankful that you're a God who cares for each one of us. That, Lord, you know the pain and the stresses and the, the concerns that are on each one of our hearts. Lord, you know our joys and you rejoice with us. Father, most importantly now, we pray that you would guide us. You promised that your spirit of truth would guide us into all truth. And Lord, we're praying that that spirit would be present this morning. Father, we need your comfort. We need your assurance. And Lord, we need your leading. And so we pray that your spirit would come near to us now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning we're going to be looking at a theme that we find in the book of John. We're going to start in John chapter 12 and verse 32. And I don't know about you, but anytime something is repeated more than once, it catches my attention. We know that in advertising, right? Multiple, it says it takes seven hits to get someone's attention with advertising. And I know that with parenting, that when my parents really wanted me to do something, well, if I didn't learn the first time, they were faithful in um, making sure I learned how to and prompting me, maybe through spankings or other things. But whenever it was repeated, I knew it was very, very important to them. Now, Jesus here, in John chapter 12, verse 32, we find the first inf- instance of something that we're going to see several times in Scripture this morning, and that's John chapter 12 and verse 32. And this is a verse we're all very familiar with, or many of us are at least. John chapter 12 and verse 32, and notice what Jesus says. Jesus says, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will do what? Will draw all men or all people to myself. Now, Jesus, in looking at the mission that He'd given the disciples to do, He had called them, as we looked at last week, to carry out the Great Commission. And as he looked at his disciples, he realized the frailness of humanity, right? They're busy arguing and gossiping and backbiting and the different challenges that he sees taking place. And Jesus gives them one key that will make sure that they're effective and successful in their ability to carry out the mission that God had given them. And that one thing is found here in John chapter 12, verse 32. And Jesus says, if I... If I am lifted up, I will draw all men to Myself. You see, Jesus here was talking in verse 33. He continues on to talk about or to describe what He's talking about in verse 32. And it says, This He said, signifying by what death He would die. You see, Jesus realized that the only hope of humanity And the only hope that we had as Jesus' disciples and leading other people to Him was to lift up Jesus that other people could behold Him. And it tells us in Scripture that by His loving kindness that we're drawn to Him. And Jesus, in looking at the work that He entrusted to each one of us to do, He knew that the only way that we could help other people see the goodness of God was to lift up Jesus. Now notice what Jesus says in another place, in John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to one of the Pharisees who comes to Him by night by the name of Nicodemus. In talking to Nicodemus, Jesus starts to discuss to him the essential ingredients for salvation. 
And Jesus tells Nicodemus that you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, how in the world can I enter in my mother's womb a second time? And Jesus gets a little bit stern with him and says, how are you a teacher in Israel? And you don't even understand these things. But notice what Jesus describes. In describing the experience of how to be born again, in describing the experience of a new birth, and Jesus tells us, or Paul tells us, that we need to die daily. We need to have this new birth experience daily. And how can we have it? John chapter 3, and notice verse 14. Jesus, as He's talking to Nicodemus, references a story that we might not be as familiar with, but we will look at it in a moment. But notice what He says. John chapter 3 and verse 14. And as Moses did what? Lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have what? Eternal life. Now let me ask you a question this morning. Do you see from the writings of Jesus and the words of Jesus that in order for us to be saved, that Jesus must be lifted up? Is that clear from what we're reading here in Scripture? Then must it be important for Jesus to be lifted up? If Jesus isn't lifted up, do we have hope of salvation? If our eyes aren't fixed on Jesus, do we have assurance that He's faithful? If we're not lifting up Jesus, are we ever going to reach the communities around us? Well, this morning I want to go ahead and look at the passage of Scripture that Jesus is describing here where He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 21. As we look at this story, as Jesus tells us, it relates to Him and His sacrifice on the cross. I believe we will understand a little more to its fullness what Jesus was describing. Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21, and we'll begin here in verse 4. Now in Numbers chapter 21, we're coming into the middle of the experience where the children of Israel are wandering in the wilderness. And how long were the children of Israel wandering? Forty years. Now I don't know about you, but I get upset when I make a detour in my own trip and it costs me ten minutes of time, right? But here are the Israelites who not only made a slight detour, but it cost them forty years of time needing to wander in the wilderness. Now. Notice what verse 4 says in describing what the attitude of the people were. Numbers chapter 21 and verse 4. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Eden. And the soul of the people, the children of Israel, became very what? Discouraged on the way. Now, have any of you ever grown discouraged on the way in your Christian life? Have you ever felt like there's no way you can complete the task that God's given you to do, or it seems like salvation's out of reach, or life is overwhelming, and all these different things? Well, this is the situation that the children of Israel were in. And because they were discouraged, notice what happens in verse 5, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. 
Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a group of upset people. Maybe it sounds like a bunch of teenagers when the fridge is empty, huh? But what's interesting is happening, I want to ask you the question, is their perception of reality really what's taking place? Did God lead them into a place and give them no food? No, he was providing for them. Did God lead them into a place and was leaving them without water? No. God was providing for their needs, but yet they didn't have the abundance that they desired, right? Now it's interesting, what does it mean that they loathed this worthless bread? What does it mean to loathe something? It's like some people loathe sauerkraut, or they loathe other things that should not be eaten, and they hate it. They despise it, right? And notice what's interesting is in the Hebrew, it says the worthless bread really means the bread of starvation. In other words, if I was going to put you on a diet that would starve you to death, that's what God did to us by putting us on the manna diet. And so these people are just furious with the way that God is leading. Now, how many of you can ever relate to being upset with the way God has led you in your life before? You don't understand why these things are happening. You don't see the end from the beginning. You begin to question God's intelligence on doing certain things. You wonder why the leaders that God is using are doing the things they are, and it seems so confusing. But notice what happens next. I think sometimes when we take the blessings of God for granted, when we forget that He does provide for our food, when we forget that He does actually give us all that we need for life, sometimes the Lord allows us and He pulls back His blessings so that we can experience what life would have been like without Him, so we can realize the blessings that we really have with Him. Notice what happens in verse 6. So the Lord sent what? Fiery serpents. What does that mean? Serpents that are on fire? No, poisonous snakes, right? So the Lord sends these poisonous snakes in among the people, and they bit the people. And many of the people of Israel did what? Do you know any other story in the Bible where people started to think that they knew better than what God did? And where they started to complain about what God gave them and they wanted more outside of the bounds of God's blessing? Does it sound anything to you like Genesis chapter 3 where God had given an abundance to his people already and he had provided for all of their needs but he said, hey, just this one tree, don't touch that one. No, 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 that's the one I have to have, right? It's going to make me wise and I have to take it. And when we step outside of the blessings of God, we realize that there are consequences that bite us. And here the children of Israel are, just as Eve, when she stepped outside of the bounds of grace and presumed on the blessings of God, she found that she was left alone and sin separated her from God and now she was suffering the consequences. We realize too, the children of Israel, as they are here wandering through the wilderness and they, they forget about the blessings and the goodness of God, that the Lord allows them to experience what it really feels like to be separated from Him. We realize that God is the source of all life and that separate from Him we only have death. And that's what we're told in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we realize here that as they presumed against God, as they turned their back on Him, that they were just suffering the consequences of sin. Now notice what takes place next. And I think this must be emphasized. Verse 7. 
People are just starting to be bit. People of Israel are dying. And notice what verse 7 says. Therefore the people came to Moses and said what? We have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that He takes away these serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. How many of you are thankful for a merciful God? That when we complain, and when we get upset, and we turn our back on Him, and we start reaping the consequences of sin, and we start feeling the heartaches of this world, that immediately we can reach out the hand of faith and say, Lord, please, forgive me, for I have sinned. And does the Lord do it? Every time. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we realize that God here, when the children of Israel started to murmur, even though God had blessed them so abundantly, God immediately finds a solution to their problem that sin had caused. Now notice, what is the solution that God gives to them? What does verse 8 tell us? Numbers chapter 21, verse 8, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a what? A fiery serpent. Now, we've heard this already once in the passage. The fiery serpents are what are afflicting the people, right? It's the cause of their sin. And we see that this is the very thing that the Lord is calling him to make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten and looks at it shall live. Now so Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he did what? He lived. Now I don't know about you, if you were just bit by a poisonous snake, and there's a bunch of poisonous snakes around your feet, where are you going to want to be looking? I mean, I'm going to want to be looking at my feet, trying to navigate my way around these serpents, right? Thinking if there's anything I can do to prevent this thing from biting me again. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 take your eyes off of the thing that's afflicting you and lift your eyes to the only thing that can save you. Now we realize that this is the representation that God gives of what Jesus is to us. You see, Jesus, the very thing that afflicts humanity was sin. It's what separates us from God. And we're told that Jesus became sin for us. In other words, He allowed all of the things that, we had, that had been troubling us to become on Him so that He could bear our sin so that we could be justified by His righteousness. Just as this one, the image of sin or the image of suffering for the people, the snake was lifted up on a pole. It was only as they looked to the serpent, and it's only as we look to Jesus who can save us from sin, that we can find victory in the Christian life today. Now, I think this is where many people get distracted. Many people think it's so important to look at all the things that are afflicting us. Well, you know, I'm just not good enough. I'm just not smart enough. I just can't get this sin out of my life. And we think somehow by gazing at our feet and watching the things that are biting us is going to save us. Does that give us any solution to sin? No, it's only by looking to the one who became sin for us and who can give us freedom from the bondage that Satan offers that we can find salvation. Now this is a story that might be very familiar to some. And I want to ask a question this morning that's crucial. 
The Bible tells us that we are to look to Jesus, right? That we need to lift Jesus up, and by looking to Him, that all of the world will be gathered to Him. And I have one question for you this morning. You see, when John was describing that in John chapter 12, verse 32, he was signifying the death that Christ was about to die on the cross. And he was telling people that when people see the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, and as they're beholding that scene, that their hearts would be melted. Now, there's a problem with us today. We're separated by 2,000 years of history. We live in another part of the world, and we're incapable of visibly seeing what Jesus did on the cross. You see, the solution to sin as well that Jesus offered in Numbers chapter 21 was that they had to look visibly at the bronze serpent that they posted up. But I want to ask you a question. Is there something that's literally visible that we can look at to see Jesus today? Is there something that we can hold up that shows us Jesus in the exact same way that the people were able to see it in the time of Christ? Does this make sense to you? Because if the Bible is emphasizing over and over and over again the importance of looking to Jesus, my question is, how in the world can I do that? You know, Paul in Hebrews chapter 12, he continues to talk about this, and it's not something, looking to Jesus was not something that was done away with at the cross. It wasn't just stopped there. But Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 tells us, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And notice the next words, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Before the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Looking to Jesus is the most crucial thing in the Christian life. And the question this morning is, how do we look to Jesus? Are we just supposed to imagine Him in the mind's eye and see if we can figure out what His eye color was? Are we supposed to, if we could see what His face looked like, would that solve all of our problems? Or is there something more significant that we can do today that would help us to look to Jesus just like the people did 2,000 years ago as they looked at the Savior hanging on the cross. Where's the clearest place that we can see Jesus today? I would argue to say that it's in His Word. And you're going to say, well, Pastor, why did you go through all that just to tell us that it's in the Bible? I want you to turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 12, verse 32, told us that Jesus must be lifted up, and when that happened, everyone would be drawn to Him. In other words, that's the way in which we're to reach the people around us. John chapter 3, verse 14, told us that Jesus was to be lifted up. We were to look at Him, and that's how we experience the new birth in the Christian life. But I think the problem is, is we often leave this looking to Jesus thing in too much of a symbolic language that it becomes cliché, and we don't actually know how to experience it in the daily Christian walk. But notice what Jesus says. John chapter 1, actually it's said about Jesus. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. We're to look to Jesus, but how do we do that today? John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the what? The Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him 
was nothing made that was made. Now, if we're still wondering who this might be, notice what verse 14 says. And the Word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, the beautiful thing about Jesus is the same Jesus that was hanging on the cross is the same Jesus that was creating back in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. You see, when John is writing this account of what happened in the Gospel, he says that which was from the beginning, the Word was with God, the Word was God, He was there. And we realize that this is the same One that was active in creating all things and that He's the source of all life. And this is the same One who is acting all throughout time and throughout the period of the minor prophets and the major prophets in the Old Testament. And John says something interesting, that this same Word that you've been reading now has become flesh. In other words, the very character and substance of Jesus was first revealed in His Word, then became flesh to make it clearly revealed who He really was. I want to ask you a question. If we want to see Jesus today, do we need to go to Galilee? Do we need to try to look at some of the old monuments where Jesus was and do research like that? No, what we need today is a mind that's fixed on the Word of God. You see, if we want to see Jesus lifted up, the only place that Jesus can be clearly lifted up is in the Word of God. We'd already said that lifting up Jesus was essential for our Christian life. Lifting up Jesus is essential for winning souls for God. Brothers and sisters, if we're trying to live a Christian life without spending time in the Word of God, dedicated time digesting the Word, we're not going to have a successful Christian experience. You know, when Jesus describes us, He's preaching to a bunch of Jews in, in John chapter 6. And as Jesus is talking to them there, He starts talking about, you know, they say, give us a sign. And He had just fed 5,000 in the last chapter. And He says, you don't need another sign. You're just looking for some food. And they said, no, no, no. Moses gave us a sign. He brought bread down from heaven. And He says, Moses didn't bring bread down from heaven. I am the bread of heaven. And they start to go through this discussion. And in verse 53, Jesus says something very interesting. John chapter 6, verse 53. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, he says, there is what? No life in you. Now if Jesus is the bread of life, if Jesus is also the Word of God, if we're not daily digesting and incorporating the Word of God into our lives, if it's not being assimilated into part of who we are, can we have any life? Well, the disciples or the people that were listening to Jesus at that part thought it was a pretty hard sermon and they all left. He thought his twelve were leaving him as well. But Jesus didn't want people to mistake one point. It is impossible to live a Christian life without having our eyes visibly, continually fixed upon Jesus. If we look back, if we look anywhere else, if we look at people, we'll get discouraged. We might think they're hypocrites. We might think they're judgmental. We might whatever else. And we can go through all of these different things. But if we could just simply look to Jesus, we would continue to grow in the Christian life. Now my question is, how many of you want to grow?
I know I do. I'm saying, Lord, please help me grow daily. I don't want to just be okay with where I am. And I realize that I eat quite a bit. But I read the Bible a little bit less. And Lord, help me to really experience this. You liken the reading of your word to the digestion of physical food. And Lord, I don't miss a meal. But sometimes I'm too tired to get up in the morning. Sometimes I just don't feel like it. Sometimes I don't have the right motivation or whatever else. And we're saying, Lord, I realize that without lifting Jesus up, I have no spiritual life. You see, it's important that we allow the Bible to really share with us what Jesus was like. As we go through the readings of Scripture, as we fix our mind on Jesus, we're not just focusing our mind on the last few chapters of Jesus' life even though that's essential and should be incorporated into a daily time. But we realize that our life should be focused on the same Jesus that Jesus presents himself as. Let me explain this. There are some people who say, give me Jesus, but don't give me his doctrine. Give me Jesus, but don't tell me what Jesus told me to do. Now, I would pick on someone in the audience here, but I don't know if I should, but we've had this discussion before, and maybe Robin's okay with me using him as an example. But let me give you an example of this. If I told you, tell me about Robin without telling me anything about him, how would that go? You know, don't tell me that he's in a relationship with Anne. Don't tell me that he works at Endurance Fitness. Don't tell me what car he drives. Don't tell me where his dad works. Don't tell me what types of things he likes. Don't tell me he likes remote control airplanes. But anything else about Robin, you can tell me. Oh yeah, high school, family, none of that, don't tell me, okay? Now, some people try to do the same thing with Jesus. They say, oh, we just need to give people Jesus, but yet we don't allow them to see the same picture of Jesus that Jesus actually gave. Now, let me share it this way. Jesus is not only the one who is comforting and helping the sick, but Jesus was also the one who is faithful to the Word of God and not willing to sacrifice principle on the sake of being faithful to His Father. You see, Jesus was the same one who believed all the teachings of the Word of God. You look at the doctrines, the teaching. Jesus says, if you will do His will, you shall know of His doctrine. In other words, if you try to separate Jesus and His teachings you end up with a massacred version of what people are trying to describe Jesus as today. You see, we live in a world that people are trying to dissect and to pull apart and say, I want this version of Jesus. I want this part. I want the grace of God without understanding that there's a law of God. I I want the, the mercy of Jesus without understanding that He's calling me to live a higher life through the power that He offers to me. And we have to allow Jesus in his fullness, to be lifted up. The Bible doesn't say, lift up a certain part of Jesus. It says, lift him up, and he will draw all men unto me. If you went through every doctrine of the Seventh-day Adventist church, you would see that Jesus taught it first. The doctrine isn't something I came up with. It's not something a board of elders came up with. But it's really simply the teachings of Jesus put out in clear form for us to understand. When we start to say, I want Jesus, but I don't want those beliefs, then do we really want Jesus? Are we really looking for the Savior of the world? Or are we looking to model God into our own image and make an idol out of Him so that we can worship that? You know, we come into this, Jesus says, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. 
we realize that not only looking at the Word of God, not only do we need to be daily digesting it, but in order to lead someone to Christ, it is essential that they understand the Christ of the Bible. Would you agree? You see, many times, and don't get me wrong here, don't confuse what I'm saying, many people want to do a portion of what Jesus did and think that their work is complete. But we see that Jesus' ministry was comprehensive. We're told that He went about all Galilee, healing, preaching, and teaching. And many people like the fact that Jesus healed others. This shows us that in following in Jesus' footsteps that we must be concerned with people's physical well-beings. Would you agree? Jesus was. Jesus was concerned with their comfort. Jesus was concerned that they were clothed and that they were healed. We should be as well. But some people want to stop there and say, well, you know, I don't, I don't want to give them the message. I don't want to offend them. And I want to ask you a question. Is that what Jesus did? Did Jesus stop at just helping people? Did Jesus just become a humanitarian worker? Or did Jesus desire to not only mingle with people as one who desired their good and to win their confidence and to meet their needs and then also to bid them to follow Him? Could it be that the reason why we're not as effective in winning souls to Jesus is because we're not truly lifting up Jesus in our lives? What would happen if the people that we're helping and the people that we're mingling with, we would start to share with them just some of the powerful things that Jesus has been teaching us through His Word? It's not offensive to say to someone, hey, you can't believe what I just read. They're telling you about the movie they just watched last time. Why can't you tell them about the chapter in the Bible you just read? And you start to share it and you just tell them how excited you are about the Jesus that you're finding in Scripture. And as we share Scripture, it lifts up Jesus. And as Jesus is lifted up, all men are drawn unto Him. You see, it's essential for us as we're witnessing to make sure that we're not just meeting the needs of people. Even though it's crucial and it must be done, we have to let people know we care for them. But we have to make sure that the Bible is incorporated in our sharing of Christ. How is the love of God most clearly revealed? It's through the life and death of Jesus Christ. As we see a sacrifice on the cross for us. As we see a God who's not willing to torture us in the fires of hell for eternity. As we see there's a God who doesn't work us like slaves for seven days a week, but gives us a day off. As we see that there's a God who longs to be closely connected with His people. There's a God who's a creator. We didn't just evolve from monkeys. As we look at all of these things, we realize that Jesus is the most beautiful picture of anyone we'd want to follow. And brothers and sisters, this is what we need to be presenting to people. We might ask, how do we do this in a practical way? How do we make sure Jesus is lifted up? Number one, we can't lift up Jesus if He's not in our lives first. Jesus must be daily becoming part of us. We must be eating and earnestly seeking the Word of God. And I'm just going to tell you 100%, there's sometimes I do not want to read the Bible. And you know what I do at those times? I read the Bible. And there's sometimes where I don't feel like praying. And you know what I do? I get on my knees and tell the Lord, I don't want to pray right now. Lord, I don't feel like reading the Word of God, but I know I need it. It's essential for my heart. I'm wicked without You. And Lord, please transform me. And what would happen if each one of us would do the same thing? Lord, please, fill me with the Word of God. I'm too busy. I'm too whatever else. But Lord, I know it's essential. And what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Lord, please, help me to have the Word of God in my life. And then to say, Lord, help me to be able to share 
the Word of God with others, right? It's not just because I want to share a bunch of facts and figures. It's not because it's just a bunch of interesting stories. But Jesus says that the Word is Him Himself. That when we're sharing the Word of God with other people in small group Bible studies, in personal Bible studies, in sharing a Bible tract or a book, people are able to read the Word of God and see Jesus lifted up in the beauty of His character. And how many of you say, Lord, I want to be a part of the people who are really lifting up Jesus in this community? Now, there's some of us who feel very incapable of doing anything for the Lord. And I'm not just pointing fingers at you, I'm pointing the finger at myself. Some of us feel like, man, Lord, what can I do? How can I actually be a part of lifting up Jesus? Notice one of Jesus' first examples. And this is what we're going to close with this morning. We're looking at John chapter 1, and starting in verse 35. In John chapter 1, verse 35, we see how it is that each one of us can be involved in leading people to Jesus and looking at the Savior. Notice what is said in John chapter 1 and verse 35. It says, Again the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Well, then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, what? Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. I want to ask you a question. How did Jesus make disciples? All he had to say was come and see. We might not feel like we're the most eloquent preachers. We might not feel like we have the best Bible knowledge to be able to share with other people. But each one of us can say, come and see the Jesus who I've learned about. You say, how can I invite someone to see Jesus today? Well, if Jesus is described in the Word of God, if He's lifted up in the Word of God, anywhere that the Word of God is being shared in its fullness is a place where Jesus is. And so when you see someone, you might not have the best words, but you say, hey, why don't you join me at my house for this small group? Hey, why don't you come and see Jesus at this place? We, we have a wonderful time at church every morning. Why don't you come see Jesus at this prophecy series that's coming up in our community? It's a beautiful time to see the revelation of Jesus Christ and what He has to say in these last days of earth's history. And as we continue to invite people, do you think the Lord's going to do a great work? Notice that when Jesus invited those two to follow Him, it doesn't stop there, but verse 40 tells us that one of the two who heard John speak and followed Him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah which has translated the Christ. And what did he do? And he preached the most eloquent sermon. Is that what it says? No, and he brought him to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, do each one of us have a role that we can play in lifting up Jesus? Regardless of how old or how young, how mobile or how immobile, the Lord is able to use each one of us to point people to the Savior of the world who loves them and died for them and has the best future for them. Jesus tells them that He's come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And Jesus is longing for people who will just lift up Christ through His Word, 
whether it's in your daily interactions of sharing those books or tracts, whether it's inviting people to your house for Bible studies, whether it's getting people in the Word somehow. And as we do this, the Lord is going to do great things. How many of you say this morning, Lord, I want to be a part of the people who help lift up Jesus? Lord, I want Jesus to be lifted up in my life first. I want Him to be so precious to me that nothing else in the world matters. And as I lift up Jesus, I know that hearts will be drawn to Him. Is that your desire this morning? Lord, help me to even do it this week. You know, we have the special opportunity of this series coming up. A time where we're learning about the Word of God, seeing the beautiful truths of Jesus Christ. And it's a perfect time to have an ex experience like Jesus did with the disciples. Where all He said is, come and see. Or it's a great time like Andrew did with his brother and just lead him to the Savior. And many of us sitting here know people that we can just say, hey, why don't you come? and see the beautiful picture of Jesus that I see. Is that your desire this morning? How, do, how can I invite people? How can I get active in sharing my faith so Jesus can be lifted up? This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.com dot org.